On episode 45 of the Ed Essentials podcast, we have Ken Williams. Ken is an author, speaker, and consultant. He's nationally recognized uh, for his work, particularly with PLCs. The reason why I wanted to bring him on the show is because he is so good at helping schools realize what they need to fix. He is a self-proclaimed elephant-in-the-room identifier. He will not be afraid to tell you how it is, and he will set the bar for all students and their learning. And so I really wanted to bring him on the show. I learned a ton from him, and I really hope you guys take a lot away from him. He will help you shift the educational paradigms that need shifting. So without further ado, please welcome on Ken Williams. Welcome to the Ed Essentials Podcast. My name is Hunter Flesh. I'm an educator and podcast host, and in each episode, I hope to equip educators through the stories and insights from experts across the education field. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, at Ed Essentials, and leave this show a review. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Now let's get started. We're live. Ken Williams, how have things been going? Things are going well, man. I mean, you you get my age when you wake up on the right side of dirt. You're playing with house money. So it's <laughs> when my eyes open, it's a good day. <laughs> I love it. Keep it simple. Stay positive. Uh, yes, sir. I, I love your energy. And I was just kind of talking to you a little bit before. I've been, I've been binging your podcast. Um, and I love, first of all, I love the length of it, too. They're only... 10 to 15 minutes. They're just your yep. journals every single day from your time as a principal. Um, were they as, as an assistant principal too, or just principal? No, it was, it was my second stint at, as, at the principalship. And my mentor wrote a note at the beginning of it and said, you know, typically your first time around as a principal, you're just way too overwhelmed to do this. But she said, you're a seasoned newbie. So I'm going to challenge you to write every day. That so was uh, my fourth year as principal, but my first year as the principal of, of this new school. So, well, I was new at the school. The school wasn't new. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, I journaled mostly every day and years later, that's what the podcast is based on. It, uh, I, that's awesome. <laughs> do you find that um, journaling helped you? Do you feel like it helps you more in the moment or do you feel like it helps you equally now reflecting back on it? I think both. There's, there's no question about it. Um, in the moment, it allows you to, to think through in a quiet space. And sometimes, you know, there, there are a couple of entries in there. There are several entries that, uh, you know, it would kind of change my perspective, you know, because we always talk about, you know, if, if something challenging happens, you know, take time to reflect and really think through things. But sometimes you either don't have the time or you don't follow that instinct. And journaling allowed me to do that a lot. So um, even when I thought I had things figured out, sometimes writing it down and working through it, you know, in, in, in the form of paper and pen helped me do some reflection in the moment as well. Absolutely. That's something as I reflect too, and as I'm trying to grow in a lot of different areas of leadership, I, uh, I tend to think about things pretty in a reactionary way. And so I'm so because I'm just, I want to fix it. I want to help people yeah. solve a problem, but I want to do it right away. I don't want to have yeah. to wait. Um, cause I can see, I can see the problem and like a solution sort of like a mile down the road, but 
journaling helps me slow that process down because what I, how yeah. I think about things is not how other people think. And that's taken me a while to, to figure yeah, out. Yeah. I've got, that was the same way. I'm a, I'm a fixer by nature. So naturally, it, it's made me a, a much better listener. <laughs> journaling and my wife has made me a much better listener. <laughs> I was going to say my mom would be like, yeah, he needs to slow down and listen. So <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's what people want. Sometimes they don't want you to fix it. They don't need your toolbox. Right. They just need to drop it off. They just right. need to drop it off so they can get on with their day. Definitely. Well, for those that don't know you, Ken, which is super sad on their part because they haven't had the chance to know <laughs> you yet, uh, give us a little insight into who you are, your journey into education, and what you're doing now. I know that's a lot, but... Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm Ken Williams. I'm a former classroom teacher assistant principal and school principal. I've led a couple of different schools through the PLC journey. But, you know, I don't limit my work to the title PLC, just cast such a wide net. Um, I got into education while applying to law school after college. I was watching LA Law. You're way too young to understand what LA, remember what LA Law was, but it was this cool TV drama that featured three lawyers. And one was a brother, Blair Underwood, these cat, all these cats wore like double-breasted suits and they were smooth. Jimmy Smits was a Latino uh, attorney and Corbin Benson was the white guy. And all three of them were smooth. They were winning the cases, getting all the girls, driving the nice cars, arguing court and winning. And I was like, <laughs> I can do that. I was like, I want to do that. Until a professor at a neighboring college um, who I knew really well, our son and I were best friends and she just looked at me and said, the children need you <laughs> and found the graduate program. And so I went to graduate school for elementary education and haven't looked back since. That's incredible. And you started your whole consulting business now too, correct? Yes. And, and that started as, you know, as a principal, I'm in an right. audience, I'm completely checked out. My Palm I-705, again, <laughs> you're probably in the crib when that was out, but you know, it was, uh, I had it ready to go and to send a bunch of emails and I heard this guy talking and within 10 minutes, he had my rapt attention. It was Rick DeFore, God rest his soul. And, um, I just kept coming back to his conferences, learning more and more each time. And there was a moment where I just, I, I was listening to him and I just said to myself, that guy has the coolest life. I mean, he is making an impact. He's impacting educators. He's got a great dry sense of humor. He makes you feel foolish for not doing this stuff. I want to do it. And so I walked up to him afterwards and told him how great he was. And that one day he's going to need to be in two places at once. And when that day comes, I'm going to be right there. And he laughed and shook my hand and told me to stay in touch. And I did. And then he eventually invited me to come and kind of, uh, you know, represent his work because he could not be in 10 places at once. So through that process, I found my own voice as well and figured out what my niche is. And I have an entrepreneurial spirit as it is. So this works for me. That's beautiful. And it's, it's worked incredibly well for you. I've, everyone I've talked to that's done work with you, whether in a school district or even just listen to your work, has been, it's been nothing but inspirational and inspiring. Well, so, you, it, yeah, absolutely. So if you haven't looked at his podcast or read any of his books or, uh, check this stuff out. You got to get on it. You're living under a rock. Um, <laughs> check out Unfold the Soul. Uh, Ken Williams is incredible. Um, so I want to I want to dive on in though, Ken, because I think you're a bit different of 
a leader than what I've experienced so far in my short career in education. And by that, I mean like a paradigm shifter. And you describe yourself that as this, this is literally just published, posted on your website, a serial paradigm shifter, a cage rattler, warm demander, and an unapologetic identifier of elephants in the room. So as you're building this new um, brand and, and consulting side business for yourself, and maybe this was when you were a, a school leader too, but when did you start realizing that you were this style of leader? And then how have you used that style to have a deeper impact on those that you work with? Yeah, well, thank you for that, that question. Uh, I think I realized it the same day I realized that, uh, that me being a serial people pleaser wasn't going to get the job done. And that's, I'm a people pleaser by nature. Like that's my, that's my natural bent is to avoid pain. Um, if, if this leadership strategy worked, if I, if spoiling the hell out of your staff and treating them like friends was guaranteed to improve your school, you know, I'd be super award-winning principal at this point. <laughs> but when I, when I realized that, um, that buy-in doesn't occur on the front end with adults and that leaders have to have the kind of vision where you see the dawn before the day, you have to know better for your staff. Sometimes you have to walk them through new experiences so they get new results. And as a result, they're not always gonna be happy with you. When I finally embraced that, right? So that, that, was, that was one that, um, you know, friendlying my way through leadership wasn't going to be it. And that doesn't mean like Becky DeFore has this quote, you don't have to be mean to mean business. And so I've, I've never been what I would coin as mean, but um, I, had, I, I finally came to terms with what leadership is really about. And leadership is a visionary position. Like you have to see the, you see the dawn before the day. It's just, you know, if you're a leader in your classroom, you have to know better for your students. You have to know better for the people you lead. You know that when you engage them in, in good sound practice, they're going to get results. And some of your students aren't going to understand that on the front end. And you can't allow them to opt out of that because you understand that once they turn that corner with that practice, they're going to get better results. They're going to get positive results and then they'll see the light. So when I realized that that's how leadership works and not on the front end where you're trying to convince them that this is great practice and convince them it's going to be great. You know, some people are going to be quote unquote, bought in on the front end, which is really isn't buying. It's more of an epiphany and more of a being compliant, a good soldier. That, that, that really helped me. And then, you know, I grew up in a family where, you know, there are no elephants in the room, man. I'm, I think it's genetic. I come, I, I come <laughs> from a, a family of just like serial observers and a handful, especially my aunties, they, my mom and my aunties, they just, they just felt compelled to tell you what you weren't seeing, even if you didn't ask for it. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, I think those two elements have shaped my style more than anything else. It's, it's, it's not that I have this extra sense of justice or that I'm a, I live on a higher plane than anyone else. I just, and it carries over into my personal life. Like, I just can't help. I can't help not commenting on stuff that's not working right. My family tells me just ignore it sometimes. Mm. Stop worrying about how that man's eating his food. Stop worrying about the fact that he has no condiments on that hamburger. <laughs> I need to tell him because life is so much better on the other side of that. So that's what's helped me. Um, I love Charles Barkley. And when I listen to his story about, you know, the career he's made at, as a, 
on TNT's Inside the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, people always talk about how he's able to get away with things and how he's able to say things that no one else can say and all these things. And, and I think a good portion of his one, he's willing to tell the truth. And two, he's unapologetic about it. And we're in an age right now where everything's so PC and uh, so narcissistically based that everyone has to apologize for anything. But I'm, I'm, I'm unapologetic about what I see. I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong, but I'm unapologetic about it. And I'm going to call a spade a spade. And a lot of it's based on my own examples, my own journey, things I've screwed up. And so uh, I don't like meetings. And so when we have them, they need to be meaningful. And so I'm, I'm willing to cut through all the stuff to make, when we ask teachers to meet, there should be a payoff. They shouldn't be meeting because admin wants them to. And when we ask things of principals, there should be a payoff. And I have a, I don't know, I just have an eye for the stuff that's in the way of leaning into our collective expertise. I wanna dive into that part a little bit further. You said a lot of amazing things and I like having the eye of what's blocking a school or a principal or a teacher or whomever from getting to where they need to be. That is, I feel like that's so rare. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's frustrating because you want people to, to have that ability. Otherwise you wouldn't have to be going to these schools trying to help them out, right? Cause you'd have yeah. those people in place to see those things. My question to you then would be maybe why are, why are people like, how can we get better at that? How yeah. can we get better at that? But then also how do we get others on board uh, in identifying some of those behaviors or excuse me, those barriers? Um, because I feel like there's so much timidness and uh, sense of being afraid to overcome those barriers or to change things from how they were um, that we result in all these, like just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. So to keep things uh, simple, simple to understand, not easy to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a researcher. I, I'm an observer. I just, I have a, I have no sense of direction, but I have a, a great sense of, of patterns. And so uh, I see things. I've worked with a lot of schools, a lot of leaders, and uh, I see things and I see patterns. And then typically I will form a conclusion and then I will agree with me about them. And then... <laughs> And then people like my colleagues, like uh, Anthony Muhammad, you know, people like him who he's going to come off as the coolest character in the world, but he really geeks out on research. He, people like him go and research this stuff and uh, typically come back with conclusions that are kind of aligned with what I concluded. And then I agree with me some more. And then I go out and I try to convince, try to convince you to agree with me. So I think in an overarching sense, one of our big issues in schools is we have our eye on the wrong results. We, we, we say we're results oriented, but I don't, I don't see that. Like when I ask people, so I work with lots of schools that implement the PLC process and I'll ask them, what's the, what's the outcome of a PLC? How do you know if a PLC is effective? And man, I will get a thousand and one different responses. Hey, can I show you a video? I can show you this video. Oh, sure. Just, Absolutely. I just did it the other day. Absolutely. I, I think it'll, it'll, it'll help your listeners uh, understand exactly what I'm saying. I think it does a better job of explaining what I'm trying to say to you. So, <laughs> Absolutely. All right. so 
I'm gonna share my screen and go for it. I will I will play this video, man. I can share my screen. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. So just 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 check this. I'm ready. Congratulations. You are now the regional manager of five local Chick-fil-A's. And just like an instructional coach, school principal, district leader, you gotta have meetings about data and see how things are going. So you go in and visit the local Chick-fil-A and the owner operator there, you ask the operator how it's, how it's going. And the owner operator says, it is going great. We're doing great. And then you say, as evidenced by what? We got a better peanut oil, it can be used 25% longer than the previous peanut oil product. We've shortened the time for both driving and curbside service. Cashiers are meeting weekly to discuss performance and best practice. Each team has developed smart goals to improve over the next quarter and embedded performance formative assessments to learn how to better support each employee. So we're pinpointing which, what employees need to move the needle forward. I ask you, is this report complete enough for you? Is there anything missing? How much chicken did we sell, baby? Isn't that the bottom line? Chicken. How many chicken sandwiches did we sell, baby? That's what's missing. Now, are all these bullets important? Absolutely. All these bullets feed the bottom line, but if you don't ever get to the bottom line, then this is all a compliance play. They're good soldiers. They're going through the, the motions. They're going through the process. They're doing the work. They're busy. But you knew right away what was missing. Where are the chicken sales, baby? You knew that was missing. And I'm telling you, this is what happens in a PLC. So I love that. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. So that that's the the the, the kind of bottom line results orientation that's missing from a lot of schools, you know. And and I think, like you mentioned it, so I'm going I'm going to jump on it because I yeah. agree with you completely. I think there's an element of fear. I think we actually fear. Uh, having a standard that we want all students to reach because we let all of the other perceived stuff get in the way uh, that, that, that starts to, you know, we start, we say there's a standard, but then we're like, well, you know, Hunter's from that side of town and you know, Ken's from that culture and you know, well, then, you know, we start diminishing and we get afraid to ask for accountability we get afraid to ask about bottom lines. There's a bottom line. Like in that example, all those bullets are important, but it's not the bottom line. It's not the bottom line. That's like going to an auto dealership and they're explaining everything except the car sales. And so when I ask schools, like, what's the bottom line here? How do you know when your school's effective? You know, we got smart goals. Uh, our teams meet every week. Um, our teachers are training the PLC process. Uh, we're doing a book study around blah, 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 blah. We're doing inclusion. But th that those are all important. But we're not, see, we've made activity the bottom line, like looking at data. I can't tell you how many teachers I come across and ask them. I say, look, your principal's not in the room. How many of you have been, have sat looking at data you've been asked to collect and wondering what the hell you're supposed to do with it? And they're like, all of us. What next? And that's because we've made being data-driven the bottom line. No, no. The bottom line is, what have we determined? What have we decided every student must know and be able to do? And then how are we measuring and monitoring every student's progress toward mastery of those learning outcomes? 
That's the bottom line. And too often we wait for the high stakes assessment data, teams with no high stakes data feel less pressure. We should be focusing on local data, on assessments created by teams of teachers that measure outcomes that have been identified by teams of teachers. And we run from that. I can't tell you how many PLCs I work with and they got no bottom line. Like you're doing, like we're doing great. I'm like, as evidenced by what? And they name all the stuff, the smart goals. We get together every week. We're using common assessments. Uh, our teams look at data. I meet with them. I was like, what's the, what's the bottom line? So that, that's an element of accountability. I had a 44-year vet pull me aside in Missouri and tell me, she said, Ken, the more ambiguous we are, the less accountable we have to be. And that's what I rail against. I don't like ambiguity. I try to make everything tangible, uh, practical, and actionable. And that's, that's what I think our biggest battle is. So I, I do a lot of work with uh, principals and teacher teams. But that principal, that you know, principal, he or she is the linchpin, you know, understanding what the role is and how to best support teachers in doing the work. Teachers need a payoff. They don't mind working hard, but they need a payoff. They need a payoff. And the bottom line is a payoff. And we, we avoid that. We avoid accountability, you know, because deep down, while we know Carol Dweck's work better than she does, you know, mindset, mm-hmm. we, mindset. We, made, we, we made her a millionaire three times over. Like we had her keynotes correcting her. Uh-uh, girl, that's on page 36, that graph you're talking about. Like we know her stuff better than she does. And still we engage in fixed mindset practices. My mind, yeah, no, you blow my mind a little bit here. Like as you were saying all that sort of in my head, I visualized this dom- like chain of dominoes falling over. And the first domino that would be hit is this understanding of what you're saying the bottom line is what do we want our students to be able to know and do that single domino affects everything else that happens within the school everything and everything yeah literally everything and that and as i was as you were talking i was thinking of the evaluation process or the teaching teacher mentor role or what your plcs look like um even just a meeting with a teacher if you ask the question and it always starts with what do you want your students to be able to know and do? How will you know that they've achieved it? What will happen if they don't achieve it? What will happen if they do achieve it? Those, uh, those are DeForest's four questions. Like, yeah. That's, <laughs> that is so clear and sim- I, not simple, but it, that is so clear. Simple to understand, not easy to do, exactly. but simple to understand. Right. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So then why is it, why is it so hard to do then? If we know it's not hard to do. <laughs> it's, it's not hard to do. Listen, you're, you're, you've been teaching three years. I'll be going into my third year. Yeah. So two going into your third year, you still got baby powder on you. <laughs> yes, that's true. I guarantee <laughs> if your first year was anything like my first year. So I came out of grad school really good. You know, I came out of a good program. I didn't, I didn't take education in undergrad. So this is my, you know, my one experience and I had practical experience and stuff like that. And I came into education just thinking, 
my my teammates told me from the beginning, look, you're not gonna be able to get to everything. There's no way you're gonna cover all of this stuff in a year. Don't stress out about it. Just like, blah, blah, blah. and I'm thinking about in my head, I'm I'm being polite, like, oh, okay. But in my head, I'm like, I just came out of grad school, baby. You know, I had so-and-so professor. I'm definitely going to be able to get through everything. And of course, you know, I'm in a catatonic state by November, completely overwhelmed. <laughs> right. I don't know. You know, my teammates allow me to use their voice till I find my own. And then the second year, I'm starting to be able to determine, all right, they got to have that. They got to have that. Oh, I hope they get that one. I hope they get that one. It'll be nice if they got that one. If we get to it, okay. If not, okay. Oh, they got to have that. Like, right? You're starting to, starting to be able to make those determinations. That's nothing but essentials. That's nothing but answering question one. What is it that they must have? The only difference between what I just talked about and what needs to happen in a PLC is that we got to do it together. Like you and I have to come to agreement. So we start with our individual list and then we, we combine and come to agreements through good productive conflict on what our combined list is because we teach the same content. So we've done this work. We've done this work. And then the next step is once you've decided that there are, I'm just using an arbitrary number, there are six things. What, what grade do you teach? Uh, seventh grade. Right? There are six, there are six items. There's six learning outcomes. We've determined there are six learning outcomes for the first marking period of seventh grade math that every kid's got to master. The pacing guide has 15. And of those 15, we're saying there are six no kid can walk out without. And we're going to go after the other nine with reckless abandon. We want every kid to get 15, but there are six we've determined no kid can walk out without, right? You and I have to come to agreement on what mastery looks like for those six. You and I have to come to agreement on how often we're going to meet to monitor every kid's progress. We're going to develop common assessments around those six. And we're going to give each other this look. Like no matter how well we know the kids, no matter their reputation, no matter who they are, what they look like, who their mama is, who their daddy is, what the home life is like, there, there's no way any kids walking out of here without those six. And we're gonna make that commitment to each other. And we're gonna commit to not give up, to you know, leverage any resource possible. We're gonna do all this while still having a life which means we need to maximize the time we meet together. That's why norms are important. We're going to maximize. We're going to make sure we have a bottom line so we're not wasting time. We know what this work is about, so we're not worried about hat policies and phone policies. That's not what's being discussed in these meetings because these meetings are about sharing breakthroughs and breakdowns around those six targets and every student between our two classes. That's the work. See, but... What that, what that calls into question is, once you've decided that all, all your students have to master those six targets, it's going to include some students you know stuff about. It's going to include some students that got some IEPs. They're going to include some students with some virtual IEPs. I mean, those are kids that they didn't put the IEP paperwork through, but they might. I maintain, every, I treat every student like they're gifted and every student like their special needs, right? So it includes the kids that you heard about that are low, the ones your last year teammates told you about, but it does not matter. All those issues those kids have go from being excuses to context. So there's a mindset part of this practice. 
But the first decision, the reason why it's, it's so difficult is it's again, it's not difficult to do. We have to do, we have to decide to have a real results orientation at our school. That's where it starts. If we make the bottom line, if they learned it or not, then we're in a better place. But if we make the bottom line that we doing it and we're meeting and we got the smart goals and we doing the agendas, and you know, if, if that's the bottom line, then this work is difficult. But if you make the bottom line, did they learn what we deemed essential? Then all of the other stuff is gonna fall into place. We gotta have a healthy environment because once we deem it essential for students to learn, then we gotta have a mindset shift too. We gotta treat it like it's life or death, have a life outside of work. You and I are not gonna care where the answer comes from. We just want the answer. Right. And if we don't have the answer between us through what we're sharing with each other, through sharing, you know, what are you doing to teach that, you know, that mixed fractions concept? What am I doing? Would you find on Pinterest? Would you get off Twitter? If we've exhausted all of our skills, then everyone and everything outside us becomes a potential resource. And if we operate that way, more kids will learn more. It's going to close a lot of these uh, cultural gaps, racial gaps, language gaps. There's so much of this work is mindset, but we cannot be afraid of results. And we are afraid of results in education. We are afraid of it. We got more excuses. We don't need other people outside education to give us excuses. We come up with our own. Well, how can you make, can you see where outside of town hunters from? You know, you, you had a sister, you know, we do all that stuff. We do all that stuff. Instead of leveraging our greatest weapon, which is our collective genius. I tell principals all the time. I told a group of principals this morning, brand new principals. When you go back in August, you need to have a quiet moment where you look, you know, you just stand up and look around that room and ask yourself, how does any kid walk out of here not ready for the next level of learning with all this talent? You know what I'm saying? Like just, just in our just in our 20 minutes together on this on this podcast, I think to myself, like if you and I were teaching partners, who couldn't we reach? Not, I mean, not only through our, our own gifts and talents, but we're both resourceful. We have networks, technologies flatten the world. It's a decision, but you gotta be results oriented. You can't allow, uh, you can't allow a wisp of air into the excuse room. You cannot, you can't. And that doesn't make the adversity disappear. It doesn't make the fact that some kids go home and the home life undoes everything, undoes everything you did that day. It doesn't excuse any of those things. It doesn't make anything disappear. It's a mindset. Every one of us in our lives have had our backs to the wall with issues that we've considered important enough to where no matter what obstacles are stacked against us, we're just like, we got to get this done. We got to get this done. And you know what that awakens? It awakens levels of creativity, innovation, focus, drive, and divergent thinking than in any other situation we're ever in. When your back's to the wall and you decide there's only one way out and it's that way. And when you do that with another teammate, you're not worried about whether the kid's got an IEP. Everybody's got an IEP and everybody's gifted. So that's the way it, I'm telling you, we're afraid of, we're afraid of accountability. We're afraid of a bottom line. We're afraid of it. Jeez. <laughs> hey, you got me all energized and ready to go. <laughs> ready to go. I, I have a question. Uh, so 
when you go into schools and you are meeting with staff, that's great. You've got 99% of the staff. Ken, I love what you're saying. We're on board. Let's do it. That 1% of the staff that's still, ah, I'm apprehensive. Yeah. That's not how things have been done before. Yep. Or even, even worse, it, you know, it might be a teacher or a para, whoever, even worse, sure. if it's a principal or a leader, what do you say to that person? Cause, cause I'll be frank. We have, we have those teachers at the school. Absolutely. You do. Every place does. Right. That, so that's, so that's another thing in education and leadership. We have the whole buy-in process turned upside down. Cause I'm telling you, first of all, I don't care who you are as a speaker. I don't have, care how compelling your message is. It's never going to be 99% at the start. I thought it was going to be that way. Believe me. I, I tried to entertain my way through getting people to buy into stuff. It <laughs> doesn't work. You know why? Because in education, in educational leadership, Someone whispered in our ears and told us that buying occurs on the front end, at the front end of the process. And so we end up doing what I used to do. I try to PD folks into buying in. I used to play VHS tapes. Of Rick, you don't know what a VHS tape, tape is. Hey, you know? now, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, good. I used to play VHS tapes of Rick DeFore and, and like, like HBO. I used to play like HBO, right? We try to TED Talk our folks into buying. We try to guilt them into buying. Hunter, if you don't share your best practices, it means you don't love kids. We try to, uh, like I said, PD them into buying. We try to conference them into buying. And that's not how buying works. On the front end of things, you know, I can pull up a common assessment protocol and explain to you why it's definitely um, an effective tool. I can show you the elements of why it's effective. And if you've never tried a common assessment protocol, you might be game. You might be like, all right, you know what? I'm going to try that. That's not buy-in. That's an epiphany. That's a moment of stark realization that says, I should try that. You are not bought in until you execute practice and get better results, right? If at the beginning of the pandemic, if someone called me and said, hey, uh, what do you think about Zoom as a platform? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I can't endorse it yet. I hadn't used it yet. Now, it, once I started using Zoom, like everyone else, and you kind of stumble through the process and figure out what your internet thing is supposed to be like and then figure out how to put people in breakout rooms and you know, how to get better sound from a mic and all those things. About three weeks into the pandemic, once I started using Zoom consistently, if someone called and said, what do you think about Zoom? I, I can, I can highly recommend it because I've had new experiences and new results. So I don't ever, I don't need to look around the room and know if there's 1%, 2%, 10%, 12% who aren't ready to move. They're always going to be that. They're always going to be that. Where I go to, I go straight to the principal because the principal is the only person on campus who can ensure everyone behaves and everyone executes anything school-wide. The principal is the only person, not the superintendent, not the assistant suit not the instructional coach, no one else, not the team leaders, not even the AP, the principal. And so, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm speaking in very general terms. If I've worked with my guiding coalition already and we've come to an agreement that a common assessment protocol is gonna be our next step in the process, then the next step is to provide every team with the resources, the supports, the clear rationale as to why this common assessment protocol is effective, why it connects with our why, 
why it connects with our mission, how it's going to improve teaching, how it's going to improve learning. And then once that's in place, even though there are going to be some folks who aren't ready, afraid, perfectionists who want to get things right and kind of just like kind of ready, aim, 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 aim. My work is to make sure every team engages in the work. You don't have to be in love with it. That, that was a huge paradigm shift moment for me when I thought that buy-in meant you not only have to want to do it, but you have to love it on the front end. That's not how anything works. My job is to put them in position to execute the kind of practice that will get them better results and then change their attitudes. That's how it works. So I can come in with my best stuff to your district and there's still gonna be a percentage of people for whatever reasons, some are curmudgeon some are burned out and fried. Some have been through so many initiatives that they're just jaded, that we've done that to them. Some are perfectionists. Like they, they, they'll sit and ready and and do 18 book studies before making any moves. Some just aren't damn sure. They just aren't sure that this is the right move. That's cool. My job is to make clear what the why is, connect the practice to the why, connect the practice to an improvement in teaching and learning, make sure my guiding coalition's on board. And then the next step is to make sure every team engages in that work. That's, that's how you improve buy-in. Way too many leaders are kind of sitting back waiting for everybody to love it and be in the right mood and have the right feelings around things and have the right, right? Now, Hunter, listen, and I'm going to shut up. I don't know if your principal's going to see this. This is not an insult to your principal because every, every teacher leader, every leader's answered this question the same way. Have there been things that you've been asked to do by a supervisor that you say to yourself, Ugh, I'd do that differently if I was in charge. Of course, yeah, right? Yeah, I'd say yeah. so, yeah. yeah. I ask audiences this all over and everyone has that moment where like, I do things a little differently. I can see how it's aligned, but I do things differently. Then I ask the same audience. Have you also had those moments when you've engaged in, well, the next question is, what do you do? And you know what you do? Short of something being unethical, you do it. Why? Because you are a professional. So you engage in it. Then I ask, has anyone come out of the other side of doing that work and has had moments where you say to yourself, all right, now I see it. All right, I didn't see it, now I see it. <laughs> now, you been there? Absolutely. That's, that's how you move from epiphany to buy-in. The bridge between epiphany and buy-in is action. So the job of the principal, assuming that you've got the why in place, resources, supports, rationale, is to make sure everybody engages in the work, which means, and I tell leaders this all the time, your gift card game gonna take a hit early on. Your gift card game in the holidays may take a hit early on, baby. But that's the job of the principal. You do that with your students, don't you? Oh, absolutely. As you're talking this whole time, I'm like, I would do this with my students. I'm asking them to engage in things all the time that are, it's yeah. It's cascading leadership. It's cascading leadership. Everything I've described from the principal's perspective, you do it in your classroom. You know you got kids who are reticent to try. You know kids who don't want to try. But you know this is best for them. And so you engage them in the work. I tell teachers all the time, a kid comes up to you and says, uh, I don't understand section C of this work you've given us. You know, a teacher's typical first response is what? 
show me what you've done, right? So let's 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 role play this. Sure. Uh, is it flesh? Yes. Yep. Mr. Flesh, I don't understand section C. Well, can you show me what you've done so far? And I'd be happy to help you out. Sure, sure. Well, no, I, I haven't done anything. I just don't like the way it looks. I mean, I haven't done it. I haven't tried anything yet. Right? That's, <laughs> right. You're, you're like, <laughs> your next goal is to not say something that's going to get you fired. Like, what the hell are you talking about, boy? Get, Read the directions. Come on. Right? Get back to that seat and try something and show me what you've done, right? Right. That's the work. That's leadership. Right. We call you teacher, mm-hmm. but you are that, that's leadership. Right. You need to get in there, put pencil to paper and then come up and we can do it based on we can work through based on what you started doing. Right. right. It's so if, if 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 principals when principals understand that and they embrace that, sometimes we're going to be unloved by staff in the short term then they understand that it's it's not about making sure everyone's completely in love with everything they're being asked to do. The most important thing is to get those boats out of the slip into the water. Everybody's, everybody's going to be, you can be in different places, but you got to be in the same pond. That's what I, you know, because that's what they asked me. Isn't it okay that people in different teams are in different places? Yeah, but you got to be in the same pond. You can't tell me, one team is engaging the common assessment protocol and another team doesn't even like each other. So they don't meet. That's not the same pond. You could have a team that's humming with this thing and another team that's kind of walking through it mechanically. They may need a process facilitator. They may need a little more coaching up, but everybody's better be working on that common assessment protocol. That's the same pond. Absolutely. Same thing in your classroom. Uh, yeah, exactly the same in the classroom. Like All right. totally. Yeah. Here's the objective, entirely. Here are the resources. You guys get to work. So yep. when questions come up, it's going to be in the context of them toiling with the work. Right. Absolutely. Gosh. So now you're giving me this whole different lens to look at. Because um, we were talking a little bit before the show. I, uh, You're a fixer. I'm a fixer as well. I'm, I'm a person that I want to help improve you. I want to help offer resources and be a support for you. But I also kind of want you to like me while I'm doing it. But, yeah. And that's such a hard balance to uh to draw and so that what what you said is is super helpful for me as i as i go through these leadership roles and and aspire to leadership and even just in my classroom when i'm working with kids you know it's it's not necessarily you know the kid that's gonna show you all the love and care in the world that's not necessarily gonna mean that they've bought into you that might mean that they're compliant or they just think you're a funny guy um but really it comes down to uh are you providing them with the resources and the learning that's supposed to be happening and, that's right. and it's going to take some hardship. Like that's, that's, that's right. also a, shine, a sign of progress and the reps, they need the reps. So yep. every, every new endeavor starts out as compliant, mm-hmm. right? Cause it feels mechanical. We you know it's, it's not natural yet. It's not just a, you know, it's, it's not embedded in our DNA yet. The problem is when we stay in compliance, I work with so many schools, like we've been to PLC school for seven years. And when I talk about as evidenced by what, or has the needle moved or have you improved? No, they kind of just going through the same compliant motions, right? So there's gotta be, you know, improvement along that, that compliance spectrum. And again, it's, you know, when I talk about elephants in the room, you know, they're in every sector and in every industry, there are always people who are great at shouting out problems. See, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to identify the problems, but, I'm going to coach you up with solutions. 
right? That's why I kind of bristle when people, you didn't do this. I'm just saying in general, call me a motivational speaker. It drives me crazy because mm. motivational speakers to me, it's like a bath. It's like the water's warm and it feels good. But then after a while it cools off and what do you got? Right. Like if right. my style's inspirational, I'll accept that. But you're going to walk away with some next steps. You're going to walk away with, um, you know, a now what? Right. Um, and, and so that now what? And that complete belief that the answers are in the room. And that's something I constantly hammer into, you know, leadership and staff that the answers are here. The answers are in this room. The, the collective expertise is in this room. And so I, I approach this much like a coach. A coach doesn't spend time, when you're getting coached on anything, coach doesn't spend time talking, you know, spending time on all the ways you're awesome. Right? Not a good coach. Right. No, no. Right? And you don't, you don't go to get coached, whether it's sports, activities, games, or anything else. You're teaching. You don't go to get coached so they can blow sunshine off you behind all day long. <laughs> Right? No, and then you're not learning anything. Not learning anything. Yeah. So when you coach them up and incrementally they're taking steps and starting to see these small, quick wins that kind of like a, like a boulder, mm -hmm. right? A little pebble at the top of the hill starts to, you know, build up. That's where, you know, efficacy is improved and you know, not everybody's going to come back and thank you in the end, but you're going to sleep easier, whether they all love you or not. You're going to sleep easier because you know you're doing what's best for them. You're doing what's best for kids. Yeah, I've yeah. always been this way. I, I don't I don't think, you know, I don't you know, it's not about approval rating. And I also infuse humor into the work. I do that to kind of just like ease the tension bubble. Yeah. Some. Absolutely. And, uh, and to make things relatable. I'm very self-deprecating. I don't mind telling you where I've screwed screwed up, but. I'm not going to take my eye off what we need to do. And I'm not going to come to your school and blow sunshine off you all day. Right. Well, and that's, so. that's a super important balance to strike though. Cause um, I'm trying to apply this to my seventh grade team. And so for context, we, there's four of us, all of us teach different subjects. And so, and we are the only ones in our subject areas. So we don't mm. really have even, you know, we have other grade levels to go to for content, but we don't even have, you know, I'm a seventh grade science teacher. So I only have myself like right. to check in and say, Hey, are you teaching science good enough? Well, it's just kind of on me or I talked to my eighth grade mentor. Well, applying this framework of the bottom line of student learning, you know, you, you've kind of talked a little bit about it as a, as a system or even from the school leader perspective. Yeah. We've had a really hard time trying to keep conversation around student learner or even establishing those norms at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, or, or I, I know the PLC method, is it collective agreements that they use or collective commitments that yeah, are collective used? Commitments. Yeah. So would, are you, would, are you guys, are you guys departmentalized um, because of your size? Yeah. Yep. We're a real small school. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, so yeah, no, you're good. So we have what we're transitioning from a team time that we've had every day that historically has been pretty much unstructured would be, you know, the principal and the counselor would come in to update us on student, you know, news or whatnot. Um, we could provide, you know, updates to them as well, but that only be maybe once or twice a week. That didn't happen this past year, of course. And so now that we have a new principal, 
this team time is going to look a, a lot different. It's not during the day anymore. It's, it's in the morning. Um, but then how do we, as the teachers, or maybe you can help me set it up. How should we start this new school year with, cause I don't want to go through this whole new school year of talking about oh, labeling this student, talking about how Johnny Appleseed's been a terrible kid today. How, yeah. you know what I mean? That's yeah. not, those things have a place, but that's not the priority. Yeah. So how would you recommend a team that's starting from scratch, essentially establishing, is it starting with just establishing norms? Is it calling out elephants in the room? Is it, you kind of get where I'm going at with that question. Where should I start? I do. I do. I do. Hang on one sec. You're good. Yeah. So it still comes back to question one, which is, you know, what do we expect every student to know and be able to do? And um, so in a smaller school, and I'm sure this is, this is, this is not completely like the getting into the weeds here is not completely yeah. my lane because I'm, I'm sure there's some better ways to do it than what I'm going to suggest. But off the top, when I, when I think about, are you a seven, eight school or six, seven, eight? We are a five through eight school. Okay. And you have singletons at sixth grade kind of set up the same way. Yeah. So right now, fifth and sixth grade, I think it's, uh, it's still four teachers for fifth and sixth grade, but each of them teaches two subjects, I believe. Um, otherwise yeah. seventh and eighth grade, so we're all singletons. Off, yeah. Just off the top of my head, just off the top of my head, if, if it was six, seven, eight or seven and eight, then of course the most ideal team is horizontal, which means we're job alike. Like you and I both teach the same seventh grade science. Right. But if that's not available, the next best thing, well, the second thing I'm gonna look at, which is an elephant in the room, but you already answered it is, are you there out of adult convenience or are you there because of your numbers? Mm -hmm. I, I work with plenty of large schools that are set up this way because you know we want fewer preps and I get that, but I'm not, not gonna create singletons when I don't have to. <laughs> so right. that's the first elephant I always ask is why you set up that way you know um I've, I've worked with elementary schools that start doing that stuff in fourth and fifth grade they've got four or five teachers at the grade level it's like I'm the only one teaching social studies I'm the only one teaching reading I'm like that's mm. not that's not best for a class that's not best for teachers not best for kids um I'm not saying that you gotta you know I want every teacher self-contained so in your situation I would have the structure set up where you're working vertically and you're identifying essential learning targets and eighth grade teachers should have some input on what those targets are. So for example, I have, I engage teams in what I call, I wish I promised list. So the eighth grade teacher is saying, all right, what are the three to five things you want every seventh grade science student to walk in knowing cold, right? And then that's the, I wish list. And you pass that, I wish list to Hunter, right? Pass it to you. And then you incorporate that list into your essentials. Cause you want to send kids ready to hit the ground running in eighth grade. I'd also have it where you are, you two are informing each other's essential learning targets. You don't have to necessarily decide on them together, but you want input from those people together. I would also have you look at your common assessments together. Look at them together. Look at the patterns, the, the trends, things you see. Um, I would have you working vertically in a way, you know, in, in, in much the same structure as horizontal. Everything starts with essential learning targets. 
and then in a literally ask yourself, what do I believe the best structure is for me to get the best feedback in an effort to ensure every student masters these essentials? That's the teams are set up to help you monitor every student's progress toward mastery of essentials. Right. You, you get what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. So if, if you so if you never knew if you never knew the words horizontal team or vertical team, you're just sitting and looking. It's like okay, if we met twice a week, what would be like? Which assemblage of people would give me the best bang for the buck in monitoring every student's progress toward mastery of essentials? Take it like that organically. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Do you want me to answer? For sure. I'm. No, no, that, that's, that's what I want you oh, to okay. think. Like, that, yeah. Those are the kinds of questions already... I want you to think about. I want you to like break it all down yeah. and, and, and start, like, our, you know, Tom and I wrote that book, you know, starting a movement, and we have this model, model of authentic alignment. You got to make it authentic. The, listen, the only reason you meet, right? So here's another one for you. The only reason we ask teachers to collaborate is because, see, a, a better a better interviewee would have asked you the question, but now I'm answering it. <laughs> the only reason teachers collaborate is because there's stuff that every student's got to learn and no one teaches all the answers. That's it. There's, there's no other reason to collaborate. That, that if, if there were not essentials, if there were not need to knows, if there weren't things that every student had to know there would be no reason to have systematic collaboration. The only reason you collaborate is because there are learning outcomes. Chance at it is to put heads together. You get me? Yeah, I do. That makes sense. That's it. So when you're thinking about what's going to work for your school next year, what's going to work for your team, you keep that in mind. The only reason you only... In a, in, a, in a pure PLC, you only collaborate around essentials. The other ones, like we talked about the 15, the 15 learning outcomes in the pacing guide, but we've decided that six of them are absolutely essential. You only collaborate around the six. The other nine you do in your individual classroom and hope you get as many kids as possible. I use this example all the time. This is, this road's got eight buttons. And if you decided that every seventh grader needs to know how to create this remote because it's going to help them in eighth grade, help them in life, help them on the uh, high stakes assessment, then you, you, you got to organize to ensure every student masters them. And you need to have eighth grade help and it needs to be systematic. And then you don't need to be chasing people down. It needs to be embedded in your schedule. You got me? Mm -hmm. Right. You're going to come across some kids who are going to want to learn, have a propensity to want to learn. Nine, carry to one. There are probably 30 buttons on this thing. <laughs> right? Right. This is the one only some kids are going to get. Mm -hmm. Every kid has an opportunity, but only some are going to get it. And that's okay. Kids separate themselves above this. Right? Right. This is the one you collaborate around. This is the one you do back in your individual classroom. Some kids get it. Some kids aren't going to get it. And it's okay. This is the one 
you've got, you need every kid to walk out with and you can't do that alone. You don't have all the answers. So, so what's the structure that's going to set me up best? And off the top of my head, I think vertical. That's what I think. Yeah. No, that's, but it's got to be simple to meetings. It's, it's got to be. Right. Uh, that, that makes a hundred percent sense. That does. I, uh, so we, we have some of that set up. And so we've got the standards in place, which is great. I'm almost even talking about just, so we meet as a seventh grade team. And like I said, we're all kind of on our islands. How do we keep Why? the, con- that's just the system in place that our current schools got set up. Yeah. And maybe that, maybe that calls into question the system that needs to be changed. Um, it calls together the outcomes. I, I'm super simple. Like I boiled things down to its simplest form. And if the whole seventh grade team is meeting, what is the bottom line? What are the outcomes? Yeah, that's why that's why I left a lot of those meetings frustrated last year. Yes, because the outcomes were either you know driven by just student behavior where yes. data wasn't being tracked, or were driven by the day's needs or personal needs. Um, yep, and not not student learning. And I would love to collaborate on assessments and things like that. I even think that having a non-science perspective is valuable, but that's not an expectation. That's not something that's- You know, you know, you know, when, you know when behavior matters? When it gets in the way of students mastering these things we probably deemed essential. Mm-hmm. Everything starts with essentials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then everything you talk about either advances the learning or impedes the learning. But what we do is we keep it to the learning, which is ambiguous and covers everything. No, no, no. Essentials. There are essentials. There are things that we, the guaranteed and viable curriculum. That's, and I don't know, a whole grade level meeting together. Like what, what are the essentials? What is, what's the outcome of this thing? Yeah. Like what's the bottom line? Right. What, where's the chicken, baby? <laughs> exactly. And so yeah. th- that helps clarify for me though, exactly what needs to happen for this next year though. Yeah. You know, I'd, rather, I'd rather you, 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 you'd be closer to what you, what you're trying to get by meeting in departments. Right. Exactly. Like that, that's a next step like that. Right. And then we're looking at, so what, what learning outcomes, what skills, what competencies cut across seventh, sixth grade science, seventh grade science and eighth grade science. Right. That we can leverage and work together to develop assessments around that we want every kid to know and be able to do. That's where you got to like the whole grade level meeting. I'm not saying there's not a place for that. Right. I'm saying you'd be beaten that way like once every six weeks and we'd have to have a real outcome for that. I'm just throwing, I'm just throwing that out there. The rest of the time, you and your department are going to identify essentials the things that no kid can walk out without and and everything you meet about is going to be around those i love that i love the reshifting of focus on on the learning that's what it needs to be so yeah okay yeah Yeah. i've taken up a ton of time i have two essentials man just keep it simple i have a couple more questions um i i don't know if we have enough time to answer this one but i i think it's super important as we begin this work not only is my school working on, a, you know, raising that bar for students academically, 
but also one of the biggest challenges yep. we're facing is um, true equity for each student. And so right now we have a lot of students that, and I, every school struggles with this, of course. Um, but it, it, it's something that our school is, is brand new to, I would say, in terms of addressing the issue. Yeah. So we have a lot of students that are in minority groups, whether it's a racial group or sexual orientation, I mean, you name yep. it, they're not being supported. So in your expertise and your um, travels, you know, seeing a lot of schools successfully support those students, how have you seen those schools function? Are there systems in place? Are there things that have to happen first in order for schools to help support those students more equitably? Yep. Man. Totally a light question. Totally easy to answer, right? I know. I know. You, you may <laughs> not like my answer, though. A lot, of, a lot of schools don't like my answer. It's equitable practice is exactly what I described. It's exactly what I described. That's the best way to support them. It's exactly what I described is being absolutely consumed with answering question one. That, that's where we have to start. And we're not starting there. We're starting with everything else outside that. And I was working with a group this morning and I was telling those principals, look, racism, bias, anti-racism, white supremacy, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, legit issues. But if you are at a school where you're teaching kids below grade level all year long, I'm not trying to hear about white supremacy yet. Because you got practices that line up with everything you're... I maintain that any conversation around race and culture is going to be best served when it grows from results of equitable practice. If you don't have foundational equity in place, how can you address race, culture, and diversity? Everything starts with equity. See, we want to make equity this idea, this, uh, this ambiguous feeling tell schools all the time you you talking about more people than martin luther king and rosa parks in february is not equity baby putting putting books on the shelves with more kids of color is a nice gesture but it's not equity equity is when you decide every student has to make not to make this and then you organized to make it happen you become consumed with every student as soon as you decide well, I don't know, you know, the students on that side of town, you know, some of the poor white kids can only make this one with the six buttons. That's where you're in trouble. And that's where we are right now. See, that's where, see right now, I call this the crown, right? And you want to grow students to wear the crown. That's why you see my hashtag is often start with the crown. Mm -hmm. This is the crown. And you grow students to wear the crown. You don't change the crown because you know, the flesh family, you had his older brother and you know he doesn't get any support at home. And that's what we're doing. Well, poor Latino kids, we pobrecito them or bless your heart, poor black kids and poor white kids. Or we just dumb down stuff for kids with IEPs or kids we consider low. That's all inequitable practice. And that, that was here and in place and entrenched long before COVID, long before social justice. And if we don't address that, then everything else is going to fall on deaf ears, fall on deaf ears. And see what I think what happens in education is, you know, a new issue comes up and we get distracted. We, we take our eye off of the fundamental stuff and we go to what's hot 
And what's hot right now? Race, racism, anti-racism, cultural race theory, 1619 Project, all those things. And those are all legitimate things and they may have real legit potential, but not if your school continues to have five algebras before algebra, baby. Not if your school got 18 low groups before the standard. Not if you got a group of kids learning below grade level all year long. Don't talk to me about white supremacy. Don't talk to me about that. Because you don't have equitable practice in place. And equitable practice starts with answering question one. Once you got question one answered in both, right? In both deed and mindset, I'm willing to talk about anything. Any, you, can, you can do all your book studies after that. But see, I don't get distracted. I don't get distracted with all this, all this talk. Because I'm going to go right to some of what you, let's, let's see what you're doing. Let's see what practices you have in place. Mm-hmm. And you got, quote unquote, low groups all over the school, learning below grade level all year long. And you want to talk to me about anti-racism? Come on now. We got to get our house in order first. And that's what happens, man. New hot issues come along and we take our eye off of the fundamental ball. And the fundamental ball is this. Our schools are built to ensure learning. Our fundamental purpose is learning. And school districts trying to put new things in place, that is cool. I'm good with it. But one, you better make sure you got equitable practice in place. And two, whatever you're putting in place, you better be able to draw a direct line from it to improving teaching and learning, from it to moving the needle. Moving the needle. Because the fact is, if all of our persistently underperforming subgroups, poor white kids, poor black kids, poor brown kids, kids that don't speak to King's English, kids with IEPs, kids we consider unmotivated. If they were learning at high levels, we wouldn't have an equity issue, would we? So let's get back to what it's about, learning. Learning, not feelings, not my truth. Learning and make everything about learning. There's something impede learning, let's address it. There's something advanced learning, let's keep, let's do more of it. But it's got to start with question one. It's got to start that. with question one. I love that. That's the truth, man. It's the truth. Question one takes care of everybody. It does. It does. Equity is not a race issue. Equity is an equity issue. Yeah. Equity is equity. <laughs> we, we try to make it a race issue, but it's not a race issue. And the stuff we talked about today and the stuff I talked about, you know, equitable practice, it's going to take care of everybody. It's going to take care of everybody. Because what scares me more than anything else, Hunter, and I know we got to wrap, is uh, when we start casting uh, groups, they, they can only learn a certain way. That scares the hell out of me. Now, the cultural competency is legit. Sure, for sure. But, and, and listen, and there's, there, there are stuff on standardized tests that, yeah, I mean, I'm from the hood. Do I know anything about squash, the game of squash? Hell no. No. And, and I'm going to support anybody who wants to go up on the hill and fight to have those questions changed. I don't have that kind of patience. I'm gonna deal with the hand you dealt me. No, squash does not connect with anybody's reality where I'm from. But if you let me know my kids need to learn about squash, I'll be damned if I don't teach my kids about some squash. Because <laughs> the last thing I'm gonna have you do is think that my kids can't learn about it. That scares me more than anything. And that yeah. drives everything I do. Yeah. And that's why I keep going back to, to practice, man. 
Uh, like you said, Ken, man, <laughs> it's simple and it can be easy, but it all comes back to that first question that you're giving me so much to reflect on and think about. And I love it. Um, Ken, I it, how can people connect with you? How can they support you and unfold the soul and all your, the rest of your work? Ah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to, I will share my screen really quickly and I appreciate you asking that. Yeah, please do. It's awesome stuff. Seriously. It is as a third year teacher going to be in my third year. It's seriously changed my perspective on so many things. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. So this is a good way to get in touch with me. Uh, If you got something time sensitive, you know, send a brother an email, man, all the DMS and BMS and tick locks and stuff like that. I don't see those too quickly, but email I see that's a way to get in touch. If you want to have a, if folks are uh, interested in partnering with me or having a conversation about how we can work together, I'm sorry, this is the best, uh, so that's perfect. This, this is the best way to have a conversation with me. Got it. And uh, uh, email is best. If it's something time sensitive, please follow me on social media. I post videos, micro learning videos all the time. Um, but to, but if you're interested in having a conversation about partnership, then that link will take you to a place where we can uh, set up a time. I love that. Ken, I've got one final question. I think you're going to love it. Uh, This is a question I ask every single guest. Um, So imagine that we are reimagining school systems in America and we decide to build this new school system from scratch. Mm -hmm. And this panel is selecting expert educators from across the country to help redesign this new school system. And they select you, Ken Williams, to provide them feedback. Now, the only rule is that you're limited to three statements uh, to help them design this new school system. So what would the three statements be from oh, the boy. one and only Ken Williams? All right. So I'm going to give you three statements that are going to lead to other questions, which is good. I mean, not, not today, but. Right. Uh, why drives everything? That'd be one statement. Um, the answers are in the room. That'd be my second statement. And start with the crown would be my third statement. Start with the crown, not the kid. Start with the crown, comma, not the kid. Gosh, I love that. So so much to reflect on for me. You're giving me all kinds of homework now. (laughs) That's good stuff, man. I love it. Ken Williams, thank you very much for coming on the Ed Essentials podcast. Listeners, if you haven't checked him out yet, follow him, Unfold the Soul. Uh, Ken Williams, I appreciate it. Thank Thank you very much. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Ed Essentials podcast. Original music by Patrick Cunningham. Links to connect with us are in the show notes. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And remember, always bring your best, and we'll see you next time on the Ed Essentials podcast. Thank you.